Welcome to episode 12 of the Listening Brain Podcast. Welcome to the Listening Brain. I'm your host, Todd Houston. In this podcast, we explore childhood hearing loss through the lives of the parents and families who were on this journey and the professionals who serve them. Hi, it's Todd Houston. Just wanted to encourage you to go over to the 3CDigitalMediaNetwork.com website and check out some of the content we now have to offer. We're building this website for you. We're going to be offering more and more webinars and courses, and we now have three other podcasts that I want you to check out. Act to Live, Telepractice Today, and our newest one is Empower Audiology with Dr. Carrie Spangler. So go check everything out. I think you'll like what you see. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Mila Mello. Mila is a speech-language pathologist, audiologist, and listening and spoken language certified auditory verbal therapist. Mila has been working with infants and children who are deaf and hard of hearing in their families since 1992. In her work with the Toronto Infant Hearing Program within the Toronto Public Health System since 2007, she has been the lead speech-language pathologist providing family-centered therapy services to infants and young children diagnosed with permanent hearing loss. Mila has had a number of different titles and roles over the years, and she continues to be an incredible professional and clinician and leader within the field of listening and spoken language and auditory verbal therapy. Here's the interview with Mila. So Mila, welcome to the podcast. Can you sort of introduce yourself and give us some background about uh, yourself and, and how you got connected to listening and spoken language. All right. So, so thank you, Todd, for inviting me for this uh, chat. Um, it's really an honor. <clears throat> so um, I am a speech-language pathologist, an audiologist, and uh, a listening spoken language specialist, auditory verbal therapist. Uh, I was born in Brazil, in Sao Paulo, where I graduated. Um, I was a, a preschool teacher in the mid-80s, and then um, uh, that is almost how I... Uh, my journey with uh, the world of uh, kids who are deaf and hard of hearing and their parents started uh, at the time I was a teacher, but I will go into that. And then I graduated as uh, in Brazil, we call phonogeologia. So that's uh, how the profession is called as a speech language pathologist and audiologist. So I moved to Toronto, Canada in 2002. Um, so I um, did work with um, kids who are deaf and hard of hearing in their families for 10 years in Brazil before coming to Canada. Mm -hmm. And here in Canada, I worked uh, with uh, Warren Estabrooks at the Learning to Listen Foundation. 
as the research and development and um, coordinator and the AV therapist. And then since 2007, once the foundation closed, I uh, have been working with uh, Toronto Public Health within the infant hearing program, and I am the lead speech language pathologist for all the uh, colleagues, the SLP colleagues that work with kids who are deaf with the public health. Um, and under that umbrella, I, I do wear many hats. So besides providing services to children who are deaf and hard of hearing um, from zero to six who live in Toronto, I am also the uh, chair of a group called the Collaborative Practice uh, uh, Work Group within the Toronto Infant Hearing Program. And this group is so uh, we have uh, everyone who works with kids who are deaf and hard of hearing in their families from zero to six sitting at this table so we can uh, collaborate and facilitate services. I am also chair of the uh, clinical best practice work group with all the SLPs who work with kids who are deaf. And I am recently one of the most amazing projects that I am so proud to be part of is I am a co-chair of a, a parent engagement group with the Toronto Public Health. This is a huge um, achievement. Um, we created the group and I am absolutely humbled learning how to involve more parents in services as equal partners. Um, I think that's in a <laughs> very short um, what I have been doing uh, within the, the, this field that I absolutely love. This is what I, I have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I am very happy to be a part of this community. Well, you, you certainly have a full plate and a very rich background. I um, didn't know you were a preschool teacher before becoming getting I was. So, how has being a preschool teacher informed you in terms of your practice today of of listening and spoken language and working with children with hearing loss? So it was such an aha moment. Um, so I used to uh, be a teacher uh, in the very beginning of uh, children um, from a very, very poor community. And um, um, I, I could see how hard it was uh, for all of them and for their parents um, to even to communicate. So uh, communication is like sitting at the table and have no conversation and how many kids have language delays. Um, so that is one piece that it really touched me. But the, what really sparkled my passion was one of my students when I was teaching the uh, preschool class and his sister. So this student got very close to me and his sister um, was, I, I don't know specifically what degree, but um, uh, I think it was a child with uh, severe to profound hearing loss. Mm -hmm. And uh, I learned the that family went through and how hard it was, but especially what called my attention was how unfair that child was not an effective communicator. Uh, the, the child did not have sign language, uh, so Libras in Portuguese, right. and did not have spoken language, and they have only a few signs or something just for the family. 
the child did have hearing aids, but it seemed that it was not functional. And I was very puzzled. And it was that was really touched me in a way that drove me to the speech language pathology and audiology university. And that was the beginning of the story. That's awesome. Uh, I hear that kind of story or have heard it before where it's been that one child or one or two children sparked an interest and it's like, this is what I need to be doing. Let me find out how I can get a degree or get more training and help these, you know, help these children with this, you know, this issue that of hearing loss. And so I, I, you know, remember Dimity Dornan talking about, you know, seeing the child on the bus. Uh, I think it was on the bus that she was taking who, who couldn't communicate and had a hearing loss. And, and that sort of piqued her interest and, and the rest is history, so to speak. That's true. Yeah. So you go to college and I, I really love that you were able to get a degree that allowed you to be both a speech language pathologist and an audiologist. You know, I hear from uh, others who or a bit older, uh, that, you know, that's how it used to be in a sense, you know, before the, uh, the discipline split that you could, you could be duly certified or get a degree that had both here in the United States. And uh, I often think that we kind of lost something when we uh, kind of did away with all that. Cause I would love to had something like that. Uh, and I, I guess the, the LISL certification is probably the closest thing that we're going to, probably get in terms of uh, more formal training now, but um, how uh, you went back to university to, to uh, become a speech pathologist and audiologist. And what was that first position after you finished that degree? I think, um, so actually in my last year, uh, I had a, an amazing uh, teacher, professor, that uh, was who introduced me to Daniel Link, um, Pollock, and Carol Flexer, and Helen Bibb, and and uh, you name it. Um, so, and as more I, I read what she would, um, not just teach, because I always want more, and she would give me extra things to read. So I got even more fascinated. I said, that's what I want. That's what I believe. That's, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And she had, um, she still has, um, she's the director of uh, an association, um, uh, friends and parents of children who are deaf and hard of hearing in Brazil that assist, um, provide all the services uh, free of charge for the families. Uh, and uh, it was in a, a city about 100 kilometers from Sao Paulo and she invited me do you know what why don't you come and you see our service and that was in the last year of university so I organized all my classes in a way that I would have one day of the week free so I would travel to that city and see and learn more like beside what the university would request i would do that observation and uh, it was like a confirmation say so that's exactly what i want that's the difference i want to make in the kids lives and the parents lives so right after i graduated guess what <laughs> i was there working for that association for that foundation 
and um, and I also got a job to pay the bills as um, uh, audiologist, um, assessing um, all ages and prescribing hearing aids, um, and and which taught me so much as well. But that was the beginning of this journey, working that foundation that was directed by my uh, former. Uh, teacher um, and one of my very important mentors. Yes, so that was my first job, uh, January the 4th, 1992. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Go ahead and give a shout out to, to your mentor and, the, and that organization, that center. Oh, yes. So that specific mentor was uh, Maria Angelina uh, Martinez. Uh, and uh, the association is still standing and is strong. It's called APADAS, um, Associação de Pais e Amigos dos Deficientes Auditivos de Sorocaba. And they are still there. And whenever I have the chance, I am always happy to um, pay back so much I have learned there. So, yeah. Oh, they they are phenomenal. That's awesome. That's awesome that the they have the the longevity uh, still going. That's that's great. Yes, yes. Which is not easy in Brazil, but they do. They are standing in strong. That's right. That's right. Even in the best of circumstances, trying to maintain something like that takes takes a lot of work. It does. It does. So after you finish there, um, in terms of your your job there, where do you go? So um, it was, um, I used to work from 7 in the morning until 9 p.m. Uh, so I, I did a lot of things and everything was related uh, to kids who are deaf and hard of hearing. So I uh, got a position as the guest professor with uh, the university for um, the medical um, um, school mm -hmm. so I used to do the communication disorders and uh, audiology piece of the classes for the last year of uh, medical school uh, for the fifth year and then for the three years for the ENT uh, residency um, and I was also the audiologist in that um, um, university, that's uh, the ambulatory for the ENT residents. Mm -hmm. I worked um, in the clinic, most of because connected with the university, I would work in partnership with uh, most of the teachers that at university continue working with the PADAS, working with another association that was uh, very little in a farther uh, city um, uh, called Itapetininga, uh, where the patients would come uh, by riding a horse or with um, anyways they could come. So it was a very small town with lots of needs. So I also worked there in a foundation. And um, uh, so I, I, I had like so many um, uh, opportunities and, and, and partners and mentors. Um, one of them uh, for sure is um, uh, Beatriz Novais. So she was my mentor uh, when, um, uh, for my uh, master's dissertation dissertation um, and then she was the one who heard about the implementation of the infant hearing program in Ontario and that she was the one saying you should consider that you have exactly the, prof the profile they are looking for and then she put a seat a seat and and 
and again, that's another point of my life that um, a, a huge change happened. Sure, sure. Well, I'm, I'm starting to notice a pattern with you in that while you were there in Brazil, you seem to have so many things going at once. And that seems to be the same case now. You have so many things that you're doing at one time, uh, which are all great and wonderful, and you're helping lots of people. But uh, I think that's um, a part of who you are. You see a need, and you want to fill that need. Yes. And um, I honestly think it is both ways. Mm -hmm. So I love to be there uh, and learning from them, from the patients, from the parents, from my colleagues. So I, I, it's almost like they feed me and I feed them. Um, it, it, it is, we, it's truly, it's, it's about a mutual growth. Um, and that's why I think it is lasting for so long. And, and there is a pattern because it, I am honestly honored and I feel so privileged to be invited to these people's lives, uh, either professional lives or personal lives. We are with the patients for sometimes three plus years. Um, so it, it is really a privilege. Um, and, and that create long-term relationships. Um, it, it's, it's great partnerships. So I think maybe that's why there's a pattern because it is a mutual growth. It's everyone wins with that. I, I, I totally agree. I, and I find that also very motivating personally is, is what we learn from each other, what we learn from the parents and, and the, ch the children themselves. I was having a conversation uh, with my grad students um, this week, actually, with a child that we're, we're working with that has taught me so much uh, yeah. uh, about, because at first we thought, you know, maybe autism spectrum and, and then he got uh, bilateral cochlear implants and he's, he's doing great and, and the behaviors have changed and, and now we're on a different path. So, you know, I'm, this little uh, kiddo is really teaching me a great deal, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm still learning. We're all still learning as we. Thank uh, goodness. <laughs> exactly. I, I hope I never get to that point where I know it all and you can't, you know, can't teach me, you know, something new. But, you know, it's and, and I think it's important for me to admit to my grad students, I don't know everything. And here's a, here's a child that was really baffling me in the beginning. But now we are all learning together and we're going to make sure he's going to be successful. Um, so I. I understand where you're coming from, and I think that's wonderful. So you end up applying for that position uh, in Toronto. Well, that was it, it. It's amazing how things have this. Um, the, it when things have to happen, mm -hmm. they do happen. So when I, I got here in Toronto, it was so interesting. It I um, I presented uh, my dissertation at the Jabal Conference in St. Louis in June two thousand and two, and right after St. Louis, I came to Toronto with my husband, and then we got here July the first, um, and uh, 
everyone at the airport was like holding a Canadian flag and saying, welcome to Canada. The, <laughs> the, everyone, the security people, everyone is like, oh my gosh, this is really amazing. What is this? This is paradise. It was July 1st, Canada Day. I did not know. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that it was that as amazing reception. Do they do that every day? And your husband, they're welcoming you. <laughs> that was funny. So I got here July the 1st and uh, it was like few. And even before coming, I emailed two people that I really admire, uh, Richard Seawold and uh, Warren Estabrooks. So I, my, I emailed both of them saying, hi, I'm coming. Um, can I just get close to you guys? I just want to learn. And then Warren was faster. And until now, Richard made fun of me about that. And um, he invited me to, to come and uh, observe. And, and then I, of course, I, I, I already knew that I would love. And then I offered me you know, my, my work as volunteer. So can I just be here? I can make materials and I can do whatever you need. Um, and then it was it, it meant to be. So it started, my, my volunteer work started in a few months after that. And then um, there was an opening and Warren came to me and said, I want you to apply. I said, me? You're kidding me. No, it's, uh, I'm, I'm learning. I'm still learning. I said, no, I want you to apply. So I apply and I got it. I couldn't believe myself. Um, and it was, again, another journey that started and I'm so grateful. Warren was my mentor. It's still my mentor. So he was my mentor in the sense of for the mentorship to um, um, uh, receive my certification in AV, uh, Lissell's AV. And, um, and it was absolutely phenomenal. Um, I worked as volunteer for a few months. I um, I got the position very fast, and and again, that's another amazing chapter of my not just professional life because I, it's it's all combined to me. It is really it is who I am. It's part of me. Yes. Right. And and so you're there with Warren. Uh, and how long were you? The, the when did the foundation close? 2007 was in March 2007. So I was there. Um, um, I started as volunteer in 2002. Uh, I was hired in 2000 and early 2003, and then it closed. Uh, so it was four years with the foundation. Yeah. Wow. From 2003 to 2007. So what do you? What would you say, if you could sum up? your biggest takeaway from that time being there in that sort of wonderful environment with Warren and Karen MacGyver Lux and, and, and I'm not sure who else might've been there, but um, what's, what's a big takeaway from that time period there? It was uh, the many, many, <laughs> but what comes to my mind is how the world is a village. Uh -huh. Um, so my little tiny world was Brazil and, um, and then it became, uh, Brazil and Canada and slash North America. And then with, uh, the team at the foundation, we trained so many professionals internationally. We went to Italy, Sweden, Norway, um, England, uh, it's, we 
went everywhere and we received people from everywhere at the foundation. So it was how important, and that's one thing that I, I absolutely adore with the LaSalle's AV practice. This community is really about supporting one another, really. Um, and, uh, and if there are a community that doesn't have resources and it is willing to, to get some help. Uh, so there's, everyone is willing to share and, and to support. And that's what I saw so in a, so real at the foundation, Learning to Listen Foundation. We would receive parents and professionals from everywhere within Canada uh, and internationally, and we would go anywhere that we were needed and invited. Uh, so that really opened my eyes of how much um, things can really work when we are together, when we are a team, and at the same time, how much I wanted to bring that to Brazil, because that was me in the past. I was there and I wanted that um, without knowing that I wanted that. So it was at the same time absorbing all of that information and, and so many wonderful partnerships and thinking about how I want this, I want to share this with my colleagues in Brazil and the families in Brazil. It just reinforces on so many levels um, how we're all connected. Yes. I mean, and, and then as we, I mean, I think, I think of that just in a very broad sense with humanity, we're all really connected. And, um, and then when we sort of look at our community of, of the Lissel community and auditory verbal practice, uh, everyone kind of knows everyone else, or, you know, you kind of know of them, you know, and I agree. What I've seen over the years is that people are very supportive of each other. And, uh, and I, I've always appreciated that, uh, that they, they do support and they do uh, work, usually <laughs> work together uh, very nicely, um, except for maybe one or two, but we won't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that opportunity to travel and to just have that, in a sense, international worldwide impact is, is something that, you know, you can be very, very proud of. Uh, and related to that, you will come back to what you're doing now in Toronto or since you left uh, the foundation there. You're also doing some international work with the AG Bell Association, correct? Yes, yes. And um, that's another dream come true for me mm. uh, because... I, I can have the desire, I can see the need, I, but if I am dreaming alone, it is just a dream as uh, people say. So, but when you get together and with people who uh, have similar beliefs and, and passion and commitment, uh, so, oh my gosh, then it's really, it, it sets the fire. Uh, so that's the AGBL Academy uh, Global Matters uh, Committee that I am a very proud member, humbled and proud member, because that's what our um, goal is to uh, 
be a connection to understand the needs globally of our colleagues who are pursuing certification, who are considering certification, who are certified with AJBEL Academy. So we're not decision makers. We are, uh, I was the, the connection, right, um, to support AJBEL Academy. And, uh, and, and because we are a diverse group, uh, and we learn so much from each other. And if I may say, sure. the Mila back in, in 1989 uh, mm -hmm. uh, in Brazil, when we'd see the first things about uh, acupedic approach in AV International, and, uh, and, and some people would say, but that only works in North America. That only works for a rich country. That Mila, it's not applicable to us. We are a completely different culture. So these myths, mm -hmm. and it did not sit well in me. It's like children is, are children everywhere. Parents are parents everywhere. So why a uh, more developed country will know? I, I really think that that is written on stones. And then being part of the Global Matters um, was a continuation about the my eye-opening with the Learning to Listen Foundation, mm -hmm. traveling internationally and seeing families that are not they are not rich, they are not full of resources, and the kids are developing with the, all the support that can be provided. So that belief that doesn't matter where the child was born, the child who is deaf and hard of hearing has the same right to uh, meet um, the development milestones as their typical hearing peers. And, and that is very strong to me. So that is to break this myth that AV is for elite or, or learning to listen and talk is just for a few. Um, and it, it is not. This is not about one approach. This is about the right to communicate in any way that um, uh, your parents in the beginning um, um, choose for you, for the child and then for the kids who are grown to continue developing that language. But uh, uh, it is that the, the Global Matters Committee just, it came almost to consolidate that um, idea and that passion uh, that yes, it is possible. Yes, we can help. We can help the professionals who will help the families. Uh, and that's what we are here. We are not Canada, uh, United States, Australia, England anymore. We are world. We are not English speaking countries. We are where the kids and the families need us to be. So that is very strong to me, uh, especially because of my personal journey, but I'm not different than anyone. So we all have journeys that see how important that is. Accessibility, not for everyone. That's right. Well, one of the things that I've written for myself, you know, some personal goals, but this is a quick aside, but many years ago, there's there used to be this uh, thing on the radio called this, this I Believe. And then uh, more recently, I think the National Public Radio here in, in the United States um, started to have these little essays from people about this is, you know, this is what I believe. Uh, or this, I believe. I wrote one, and it's basically that that families who choose spoken language for their child with hearing loss 
should have access to that service and the technology, no matter where they live in the world. Exactly. And so, you know, and I, I firmly, firmly, very, you know, su- much support that. And, and frankly, that's, you know, led me to get into somewhat of the telepractice world and been doing that for a while because using technology is another way to bring services to families that may not have access to it in their local community. And, uh, and I'm, I'm definitely one who now wants to do more internationally, try to reach out. So um, if there's anything I can do to support you or the committee or anything that you guys are doing, please let me know. I'm happy to do that. Um. So, um, so I, I do share your, your mission. Um, and so with your time in Toronto, as you leave the foundation, you, you then start to work for early intervention. So, yeah. Um, so, was the, the foundation used to provide services to public health. So, we would was, um, the foundation was one of the agencies mm-hmm. um, who would receive uh, some funding uh, from the local government. And then, once the foundation closed, the City of Toronto decided to, instead of finding another foundation or another agency, decided to implement the service within Toronto Public Health. Uh, and then um, I was hired um, to, um, and the manager who was um, the infant hearing program manager at that time, Martha Cole, is another amazing mentor and phenomenal supporter for kids who are deaf and hard of hearing and their families. And because of her, because of her passion, because she really fought for this service, that's why, and and Steve Cohen as well, uh, of course, uh, that's why we have this phenomenal service now with us, the city of Toronto. So, um, uh, the that time, so in 2007, we uh, created and implemented the um, we call auditory skills intervention service. So we we were debating what will be the name, but in, in respect, and that's a huge debate. Uh, but in respect that not all the service providers, not all speech language pathologists, are auditory verbal uh, certified um, listeners professionals. Um, we want to um, have. A, a, another name that is not auditory verbal program, um, also because it is a, uh, a public service. So if the family wants the child to learn to listen and talk, phenomenal. So our team will support. If the family decides the child will learn to use sign language to communicate and be uh, directly involved with the deaf community, phenomenal. We have the deaf uh, team that will support that family. And for some reason, some families want both. And that is supported by the government for a limited time until it's decided what will be the primary language. So that way, because we would also have some families who use some sign, we could also could not call as a EV process, um, a program. Right. So it's called auditory skills intervention. And uh, uh, we, of course, uh, we were inspired by all the services learning to listen foundation provided mm-hmm. and implemented that service and as being growing and being fabulous and um, coming from only 
only <laughs> therapy sessions with the families to now workshops, work groups, having parents involved in the planning what services will be launched and how and if we need the service and how to. So it is really growing the last years um, and also thanks to the because we are Toronto Public Health so we have a close partnership with other professionals so social workers and um, audiologists for sure uh, and, and the doctors pediatricians so uh, we are in a kind of a privileged position to um, to help to kind of um, inspire uh, decision makers so one of the um, the um, changes is that we are now uh, promoting more uh, training colleagues who want to pursue AV certification. So in the past, this it, it was not seen as so essential. Maybe just the coordinators will be certified, but now no, uh, we um, um, got uh, the support to um, mentor more colleagues and have more professionals very knowledgeable uh, when providing auditory verbal services to the kids. So this is in a very um, short summary, uh, but now um, the infant hearing program has uh, amazing early intervention services uh, for children who are deaf and hard of hearing, hearing again from zero to six. That is, that is incredible. And to, to see where you've come, I guess, over the 13 years or so uh, that you guys have, have been at it. Um, how many children are you now serving in just in, in total in Toronto? I honestly don't have that number. <laughs> uh, but, uh, oh my goodness. Um, I would say in it's hard. If I give a number, I will be lying. So, um, and I should know because I'm preparing a presentation that will have that information. Uh, but it's about uh, 150 kids per year um, that we receive. And we do provide services for kids from unilateral to bilateral profound auditory neuropathy spectrum disorder, um, uh, permanent conductive hearing loss, so doesn't matter, degree and type. So we do provide services to all of them. And because Toronto, is a multi-cultural city and receives people from everywhere. So it is not just uh, kids that we identify at birth with a, a newborn hearing screening mm. or kids that we identify later on um, because of a late onset or progressive hearing loss, but we also receive kids from everywhere. Uh, we have refugees and immigrants and the kids come here when they are three and four and five and with um, um, a certain degree and type of hearing loss and no services was received in the past or little service was received. So this is another breaking for myself that when back in Brazil, people would say, yeah, but you know, it is for rich people or rich country because they have newborn hearing screening. Actually, we have kids that start the service not in ideal time and we still can help them to learn to listen and talk and, and achieve their maximum potential. You know, unfortunately, we're going to see, you know, we see that here in Ohio where I am and around the states where we have very good newborn hearing screening, but still some children, some families fall through the cracks and don't get the services they need when they need them. Yeah. Or, or you know, occasionally the child is, you know, later identified and 
you know, at, than rather than as a newborn. And so, uh, and then they show up for services at some point and are like, what happened here, you know? Um, and so, yeah, we could, we all can still help those children. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that uh, you guys are there doing the you're doing. So you mentioned uh, one of the things that you're proud of right now is the involvement of families and parents uh, in the program itself. So can you talk a little bit more about how that has evolved? Oh my gosh, yes. So quickly going back to Brazil, um, I did think that I was delivering family-centered services. Mm -hmm. I truly believe that I was. Um, and that was on what I read, on our speech. And I just learned that I was not providing family-centered services when I started my mentorship learning about a LISL's AV certification. So that's when I start really learning what I was doing, it was family-focused or system-focused, but was not family-centered right. uh, for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Okay, They're just they are different. But um, uh, and then as and since 2005, when I got my certification, as we talked before, we continue learning. We are always learning, and my service um, is I. I I want to believe that it's becoming more and more family-centered. Mm -hmm. And and that family-centered is really um, a paradigm shift, truly, um, because I, I, I learned with my colleagues, just to for, fast forward nowadays. So in the last three years, I'm uh, focusing on learning more about family-centered and client-centered services. Mm -hmm. um, from one of my dear colleagues, Vivian Lowe, is a family support worker and a nurse and a mother of a child with special needs. Uh, and uh, she has a lot of studies and, and she dedicates her life about family centered services and client-centered services and um, it is learning from the, the macro so so from um, so if we think about in a big picture a system focused uh, service uh, would um, I, I create I implement all the services uh, that I th I think are the best services ever for this field of expertise um, and that will serve well the system. So we are going to do all this this um, group of uh, activities that will be the best clinical practice um, ever. And then the, fa the um, family focused would be, I, I know a lot and I know what the families need. So I will, based on evidence, based on information that I, I collect as a professional, I will create this program that is... Uh, family focused uh, because um, I have the best intention in mind. So that's what I'm creating uh, for the families and the kids. And, and the family uh, centered is families come and be part of identifying what needs to be created, what needs to be kept and what needs to be changed. So the families are involved from the beginning. So in a family focus, for example, we create all the, the programs and the services, and then we have focus groups and ask the parents, 
did we get that right? Or we have surveys and we ask parents, did we get that right? And then we may change and adapt. But in the family focused, we have parents involved from the beginning. So we don't assume what they need. They tell us what they need in that particular community. Um, so that is in the big picture. In the small picture is AV. It is exactly, is the fundamental, um, um, is the foundation of uh, Lissell's AV services. So the family is not in the waiting room. The family is not behind a mirror observing me. The family is not inside of my therapy observing me. The family is part of the session. Is there's no in uh, early intervention without the family. There's no therapist without the family. And and another aha moment for me in this family uh, uh, centered approach is that, um, and that is I'm still learning, and and that's a learning that um, will continue for a long time. It is the idea of um, we empower families. And even like the, the terminology that we use is family focused. So I cannot empower anyone. I don't have that power to empower. If I empower someone is because I'm, I'm, I have that and you don't have. Right. So uh, I, I believe like Powers, uh, the, the parents have the power. So uh, we were going to work as guide and coach to help them to find how to use that power in effective and efficient in a, maybe they are already using in an amazing way. Um, and uh, we just validating that uh, uh, if it is needed. Mm -hmm. But um, it is, they have that. They, they, uh, and even like the amount in a therapy, how much do I speak? How much the parents speak? How much the child speak? And how much I'm there as a guide and coach Julie or as the center of the attention? So uh, all of those questions, um, it goes back to the Mila in the late 80s thinking, wow, how AV makes parents so involved. Parents are so part of the process and parents do keep the hearing aids on and like there's no perfection. I'm, don't get me wrong, but it was a huge difference from what I was used to and what is possible. So when I, um, and also that is a, a shift in a sense that before was that this child is difficult. This family doesn't collaborate. Actually, no, what I, I can do to make things easier, to facilitate, to make this possible, how I can support better. So there's no blaming game. It's like it, it is a team. So that to me was a huge change and it continues to be. So many times I still get myself and saying, oh my gosh, did I ask the parents if they want that? Did I involve them? Did we talk about the why and for what? Or I'm just telling them what to do? No. So I am very, um, I have an honor to work with an amazing team of professionals, the family support workers that I work with and my managers are great support to in, uh, in, increase this, this family engagement in the infant hearing program uh, with uh, Toronto Public Health. And we created, so we initially in, created a collaborative, uh, the name was Interprofessional Practice Workgroup. And we have only professionals 
coming. So audiologists, um, teachers from all the school boards and uh, hearing aid um, specialists, speech language pathologists, you name it. All the professionals involved somehow in the service for kids from zero to six will be sitting at that table. And then it came like, wait a minute. If we say that we are really facilitating family-centered service, why parents are not at this table? Right. We are here discussing services to better uh, assess the population, and the population is not here. They are the main stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So we start creating, um, making that change. And that change is even like the clinical staff can see that. I like to think that we see that faster maybe I don't know or easier because we are on the sandbox but this shift of way to think going back to the managers and directors and the policy makers it is huge so uh, so we we have with the support of Vivian Lowe this uh, family support worker that I mentioned we are creating this parent engagement group and this group was identified with uh, parents who represent the community. So we have parents who did not have a good experience with IHP. We want to hear them. Um, parents who have um, kids only with hearing loss, mm -hmm. parents with um, parents of children with multiple challenges, parents, fathers, and and so that's that is is growing. So that's one of the um, we have this project in the last two years and a half, and is. Uh, there's so much more that we can do. So this is really close to my heart, for sure. Well, I th I think, you know, what you've described is, I think, the aha moments that a lot of professionals who think they are well-trained in doing family-centered intervention, that, you know, what I've always heard is that if those people then become, get involved with auditory verbal practice, you know, the light comes on that maybe they were never really doing family-centered uh, intervention, um, especially in the parent coaching realm and not really fully understanding how to guide and coach. And really, instead of just doing for, it's doing with the parents um, and, and really, in, you know, engaging them and making sure we're meeting their needs. And I've always tried to talk to my grad students about, you know, <clears throat> when we have a family that maybe not isn't following through or isn't, you know, uh, maybe misses some sessions, you know, it's not that they're being neglectful. Let's take a step back and figure out why. Why is it that we see this behavior? And let's try to solve the problem. Is it a babysitting issue with the siblings, and that's why they're missing the AV sessions. Can we do something about that? Um, and so it's having an open mind and, yes. and, and in going, getting away from that judgmental place that we sometimes jump to and really trying to be more understanding. And, and that's when we really become more family-centered is to be there for the families and help them be successful. Um, whatever it takes. And uh, I know we have limits and what we can do, but, uh, but looking at how can we put a program in place or, or a set of services that are really going to meet the needs of this family and this, and this child. And uh, I applaud what you guys are doing. It sounds wonderful. And I'm sure yeah. seeing really great outcomes with families and children. 
and and um, there are moments that uh, you have to be system centered, right? It's there are moments that it is about um, you have limitations of uh, the agency, right? There are moments that it is not up to Mila or up to anyone, but the director to make a decision right. so it as i said in the beginning is not right or wrong it right. is how we can just really have a different lens to look at the same situation whenever we can mm -hmm. um and and there's so much to to improve it is in and as we go we hear more from parents and we hear parents happy and parents frustrated and parents scared so uh we are far 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 to be the optimal um um program but we we are open <laughs> i that's how i feel that we are and we can be like that because of the amazing um leaders that we have um, so we can do our work and on the sandbox because we have people that support us yeah right. i mean even now with covid and the world has changed and oh, yeah you know even stepping outside of this pandemic that we're currently in uh you know we programs have to continuously evolve uh and and meet the new challenges that are out there and and what i've seen over the years is that that's just the way it is. Services continue to evolve and research evolves and, and we learn more and more. And if we have to remain open to new information, new ways of looking at things, new ways of serving families. And, and so I just really applaud what you guys are doing. Thank you. <laughs> That's one, another thing that I, uh, I'm learning um, to just say thank you and be grateful uh because uh, my first answer is always oh truly it is it's a lot of work we are still working we're still but actually it's also important to just stop and say yes look where we were and look where we are so yeah and and really i'm grateful um thank you well, and i'm very grateful for you being with us today so um two more questions, I think. What, where do you see yourself in the next five years? Next, where do you see yourself? Or what would you like to uh, see happen in the next few years for yourself? I really want to expand um, my support to the Portuguese-speaking community. Mm. So um, I do think I can, I can do more, and I can, I, uh, so I, in that way, I will be more available i don't know but i do want to do more we still don't have any certified av therapist mm. in brazil and we have only one in portugal who was my my uh, mentee so uh, it um i in five years from now i would love to see a professional becoming certified um and if i could anyways uh, supported that professional um that will be um, um, one of the life achievements for me. Um, so I, I do want to improve and, and, and support, um, not improve, support the professionals who speak Portuguese so they can help to support the families in that community. Right. Um, and that is hand-to-hand -hand with the international community. Right. So whatever there is a... 
more professionals needing support, uh, I want to somehow be able to listen to them, to have access to their call. And, and somehow, even if it is a little tiny thing, I would like to um, support them. So to me, that's, that's my goal for the next five years is to um, help to, to grow that passion uh, internationally. Yeah. That's a that's a, a great goal. It's about giving back to your home, and that's that's one. Yes, and we have lots of people that are out there uh, that are pursuing or want to pursue the LISL certification. What advice would you give them uh, to get started or to continue uh, on their journey of becoming certified? There's so many. Uh, one is very basic. So many. Uh, colleagues contact me and say, Mila, um, how do I become an, a certified AV? Uh, I heard this, I heard that, and I am so sorry to say that about 75% of what is heard is not what it is. Right. So I would suggest go to EGBL Academy website. Look at the handbook, look at the information, get the information from the source. So if that caught your attention, if you thought that this approach, this practice, uh, it, is, it goes in agreement with what you believe is best practice for kids who are deaf and hard of hearing, go to the website and take a look at the information, um, how to become an IV. Uh, certified professional and uh, um, and 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 try to to listen to uh, the facts and 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 see the requirements rather than the myths so before um, I, I did hear to a lot of myths and I did uh, had a lot of myths and that held me uh, for not getting what I wanted and until I learned that those myths were not based on facts and reality um, I, I couldn't reach my uh, maximum potential. So mine, so raising the bar for myself. We talk about raising the bar for the kids and the, the parents and family. How about us, right? right. So pursue, um, know what is really the requirements. Um, the second thing is don't be alone. Uh, it's so hard to do things alone and so much easier and effective and efficient to do things together. So if you have a colleague that is also considering, join, have you two, you three, and, um, and start the process together. Um, and that's one way to have a, a, a small community. Engage with others that are seeking the same certification from other countries, from other communities. Um, and believe your needs and your challenges and the barriers that you may face are not only for you. Some other people have faced the same barriers or similar, and you don't need to learn how to overcome those barriers by yourself. You can learn from other people's experiences Experiences. So um, don't do that journey by yourself. Have a team, have a colleague, um, and, and find a mentor that is, um, if the mentor doesn't speak the same language as you, which I would strongly recommend, uh, so it does uh, make easier with the videos and, and the, the therapy sessions, but with um, some some similarities in the cultural background. Uh, so um, we break other myths saying, oh, that works in your culture, but it doesn't work in mine. Actually, it is not a, it's, it's not about 
the culture it is about how you see the service how you see the the child's needs the family's needs um so find someone also that has similar beliefs and culture and background that you do and uh don't give up <laughs> i know this is like such a uh but don't give up it is worth it it is three to five years that made me a, a different and a better therapist mm -hmm. and it was just a start because uh the, the journey is way longer and 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 uh, amazing um, so and if you need um, someone to support you because you feel that it's getting hard to proceed uh, contact the community reach out um, we are all here and we all went through different ways but what the person is or will be facing so um, learn from facts and evidence get a team to support you don't do by yourself reach out for the community and trust you can do it. You can raise the bar for yourself. Well, I think that's very wise. Uh, lots of wisdom and very great advice to, to give anyone who's interested in pursuing this whole certification. So, and Mila, thank you. Thank you for your time today. It's been an absolutely delightful time together. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Todd. Um, it is... A pleasure to be here with you. You, uh, you are part of my AV history. You were part from the very beginning, from back in early 2000. Uh, so uh, I, it's an honor to be here with you, uh, as you were and are uh, one of my mentors and people who inspire me every day. So thank you. Thank you. It's always great to talk to someone who is as passionate about their work as Mila is. I continue to be impressed with what she and her colleagues are doing in the city of Toronto for young children with hearing loss and their families and their commitment to family-centered services, which I think is just phenomenal. That program not only is a model for Toronto, but has become a national model throughout Canada and and frankly, probably is a model that should be replicated in other parts of the world, too. So I wish them nothing but the best of luck and continued success in all that they're doing. And for you, thank you for listening to today's episode. If you don't mind, please leave us a five-star review, and that helps us to attract new listeners and to grow the program. Encourage others to subscribe as well. If you haven't done so, please go to the podcatcher of your choice and subscribe to the Listening Brain Podcast. Until next time, this has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.